Hello everyone and welcome to the School for CEOs Leadership Insights podcast. With Tokyo 2020 now less than a year away, we're delighted to feature GB Olympic prospect Catherine Douglas in this feature episode. Having discovered the sport of rowing by chance, Catherine shares her personal journey as a professional athlete, offering insights into leadership, teamwork and the mental and physical toll that comes with an unwavering determination to make that boat go faster. I'm Gemma Soul, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, Catherine, uh, I'd like to welcome you to the School for CEOs podcast. We have Catherine Douglas, GB rower, and it's an absolute delight to have you with us today. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Um, Catherine, I'd like to start by... Uh, inviting you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and your introduction to um, elite sport. Um, So obviously my name is Catherine Douglas. I have rowed for nearly 10 years, Um, educated in Edinburgh, um, but they didn't have a rowing team. So at school I was in the athletics team, as jack-of-all-trades, king-of-none, I like to say, um, in all the sports teams. and always watch the Olympics. My brother um, was a national swimmer, international swimmer, um, from a young age, and my sister was very good at athletics. So I just never really found my sport. They were the two sporty people, and I just played saxophone, so I was more musical, I guess. Uh, then I went into to university down south at Oxford Brooks, um, where at a sports centre someone came up to me and was like, you're a big girl, you belong in a boat down by the river. Uh, so I'd never really heard of rowing, so I thought I'd give it a try and was quite good at it, well, better than everyone else. So they kept telling me, you know, you could go to the Olympics. Um, so I was like, wow, this would be awesome. So I kept at it. Um, and here, here we are nine years later and hopefully go to the Olympics next year in my 10th year of rowing. And you described someone coming up to you saying, yeah, Catherine, you're, you're a big girl. How about a go at rowing? So obviously we can't see you, so describe your kind of... Physique and stature. So, so I'm 5'11", okay. um, taller than your average male in Britain, let alone your average female. Um, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not slight. I'm, I'm quite athletic looking, I guess. Um, so, yeah. And so you arrived at University <coughs> Oxford Brooks and you get this kind of surprise invitation. So did you see, did you ever anticipate that something like this might happen or was it a complete surprise? Um, I guess it was a complete surprise. I, my mum said, you know, at the sports centre, sign up for all different kinds of sports and stuff, and that's how you make friends and meet new people and socialise. And sports is, like I said, I was always quite good at everything. Um, so I knew I'd fit in. So I also signed up for Ultimate Frisbee team, the hockey team, um, everything I could, really, to just try and make friends. Um, running was my, was my passion, but they didn't actually have a running team, so I just thought I'd sign up for everything else water polo I think I signed up for too and um you you obviously enjoyed rowing you realized quite quickly that you were quite good at it um nine years later you're in the GB team so what what took you from joining a club to be sociable and make friends to you know performing at the very top of your sport I guess um at university obviously you have to cook for yourself there's like lots of fast food and stuff and I was putting on weight quickly um, and rowing was a way where I could go and train and it was almost like a bit like school I guess so it, it kind of bridged that gap where I was like missing so I went to boarding school and then 
to then kind of go into uni without the structure and without people telling you what to do is quite I find it quite hard so rowing is and it still is um a bit like school I guess so you you turn up at a certain time you're told to run a few laps of this and then go on the rowing machine and and do this and everything's so set and you have to be at certain places at certain time and it almost gave me a little bit of purpose so I'd wake up in the morning go training in the morning and I'd go to lectures all the way through the day and then go training again for second session and then I lived with all my hockey friends so then I try and be sociable and go out but it kind of wasn't for me and by the time it hit 12 o'clock I do a Dutch goodbye as I say and just sneak off be like I'm going to the toilet and sneak off and go to bed and then wake up and do it all again and it worked for a few years and and I I did love it Um, and then within my first year of rowing I got selected to row for under 23s for Great Britain and we got to go to Amsterdam and these training camps in Sierra Nevada in Spain um, these altitude camps and it was awesome and I was along side like-minded people who who didn't really like going out as much and didn't really like drinking and weren't very like social sociable like that and yet we got on really well and and I loved it and I thought you know this is my this is my tribe my gang um I kind of found somewhere which I kind of fitted and obviously being like a tall girl I have all these tiny little friends I went to school with and the tiny little uni friends and you're walking around, you're obviously quite big, and I was quite almost embarrassed of my stature. And then I found all these girls that were taller than me. They were six foot one, six foot two. They were they were bigger than me. I felt tiny and petite, and, and I almost just, yeah, found my little family and my little clique. Um, and then the sport is addictive. It, I like to call it an illness. You, you almost, as soon as you start rowing, it's hard to quit. It's hard to get out. Um... I like to say that I wouldn't do it if if I wasn't getting paid to do it because I do think you need to to find a a, a stop and get out because um, I've seen many guys it normally happens to guys where they they row and row and row and they're trying desperately to get into the team and stuff and they end up rowing for their whole life and these clever guys have got degrees in chemistry and engineering and stuff and they end up just rowing for their whole life and it's quite sad but um, I like to think that I'm going to call it a day after Tokyo um but I've got to get something else lined up so I can have an easy transition otherwise mm-hmm. I'll probably <laughs> yeah I'm going to I'm going to ask you about that yeah. uh, a little bit later on um but it's it's lovely to see the kind of passion that you have for the yeah. sport this massive smile across yeah. your face <laughs> when you start talking about rowing and what it's like and the environment and it's feels as though the environment is as much you know an addiction as, mm. as the sport itself and the kind of community that you've you, you find a sense of belonging there, oh, which is amazing. Um, I'd like to ask you about leadership. School for CEOs were a business that, that's been established to help develop the next generation of leaders. And so I'm really interested to learn what leadership looks like in GB rowing and in, in the boat um, and what your experiences are of, of some of the, the great leaders that you've come across. Um, I, think, I think probably the greatest leader is obviously the infamous Catherine Granger. Um, I was lucky enough. So my story, I got into the team in 2013. Uh, so after only three years of rowing, um, I got into the senior team and I was rowing with the likes of, of Catherine Granger and just the way she held herself and how kind she was. And obviously these girls, they're your family, you see them 24-7, but they are also your competitors and you're competing against them. And there's a very blurred line um, with friendship and 
competing because everyone wants a seat in the boat and everyone wants to go to the Olympics and and it's a harsh way of saying it but everyone would throw you under a bus to get that seat but something about Granger she was always so approachable you could always ask her anything she had so much experience um and she was always so kind I guess because she was maybe because she was so good that she didn't ever feel threatened by anyone else so she could be kind and she could lead and she could um show the way um as by example and I always remember that like remember how generous and kind and approachable she was whereas some of the other girls were quite standoffish and didn't want to give you any tips or tell you how it works and stuff and then I unfortunately got injured in 2014 and and that was like a big low in my time where I got kicked out of the team and um but we'll talk about that later and but I'd say the three things you probably need to be a leader is accountability you know everyone makes mistakes um you have to you have to go to bed at nine o'clock you can't really have a social life um you know if you're wanting to go to the olympics that if it was easy everyone would do it um you have to sacrifice and give up a lot um and accountability is holding yourself accountable for those things of getting enough sleep you know a normal person needs eight hours as an athlete you probably need 10 hours um eating the right foods um yeah just not overdoing it or burning the candle at both ends um also probably and like show by example I guess with new people coming in and fresh people coming into the squad showing example that you don't have to be standoffish you don't have to give all your tips and skills and stuff out but you can be encouraging and inspiring and try and inspire the next generation to to come and help you because at the end of the day and I definitely think the difference this is the difference between under 23s and senior you want the best people in your team it's not just your friends you want like in under 23s it was definitely we had a clique of friends and we wanted our friends in the boat but as you get closer to the Olympics you want the best people that are gonna give you the shot of making the boat go faster and get you over that line first um and I guess that's the other thing is getting the best out of the people you're working with so for example we're put into pairs early on in the year so you have to row and do everything with this girl and sometimes you might not get on with them sometimes they're very irritating and obviously to to go to the olympics and to be addicted to rowing like there's a lot of weirdos uh, a lot of people that you might not get on with in the outside world but it's your job to get the best out of them so that you can go as fast as you can and so my pairs partner has really bad anxiety and i know stuff like being late for her I'm always late but being late for her really like bugs her and it it, get, it gets her on edge and then we end up not having a good session because I was five minutes late and it's so easy for me just to set my alarm five minutes early and make sure that I'm there on time and it makes her feel easier um but it's just getting the best out of these people and if it makes the session go that little bit better it is worth it um and yeah some of the yeah, some of the girls that are the best, better girls are probably the most annoying and selfish and just kind of like they are so self-driven and but they're, they're good and they're good at what they do and you want them in the, your boat and they're very difficult to get on with but you kind of have to mould to kind of get on with them and get the best out of them so you can go as fast as possible. Um, and then I think another important feature about leadership is probably being positive. Um all day we're told you know you can do this better you can do this better you can lose weight you can be 
um, have more muscle, you can be stronger, you can lift more, you can do that technique a bit better, you can row faster. All day our coaches are just asking more and more and more from us. And our regime is already pretty hard as it is. And then when someone's constantly asking, when you're overtired and someone's constantly asking you for more and more and more, it's, it's quite hard to see the perspective and see that actually you're trying to be the best in the world. Um, you're already the best in your country. You're now trying to be the best in the world. And, you know, you're going to have to do that. And sometimes it's it's hard to keep positive and be like, come on, you're, you're good. Um, even though people, you're not good enough yet, but you are still good. And and just to keep that positivity around. And I come out of crew boats and stuff. Everyone's like, oh, that session wasn't good enough. We could have done this better. But I always like to say something positive and be like, but I did think that this was really good and that was better than last week. So that's definitely improving. Um and I think that's something that I think a good leader should have. Mm-hmm. And it's nice that you picked up on Catherine Granger. She's actually part of our School for CEOs oh, faculty. Wow. So um, awesome. I can totally um, you know, see those that generosity and things and the way that we've, we've um, listened to her on our programs. Mm-hmm. And so there seems to be this element of self-management and discipline, but also... You know, there's no one person bigger than the team because it's about getting that boat to go faster. Um, and that, that's really interesting dynamics around actually acknowledging and appreciating that you're not going to be the best friend necessarily of the person that you're training with, but actually you can really help each other get through. Um, I'd like to ask you about health, you know, mental and physical. Um, we're sitting in Edinburgh today and you're allowed a couple of weeks home uh, training free because you've been overtraining. Um, so tell me a bit about, about that and the position you're in right now. So the last, the last year, I guess this season when I came back, um, I had a back spasm when I was on holiday. So I stopped rowing, went to the World Championships in Bulgaria, stopped rowing, we have a four-week break, and I went to Greece with a couple of friends. And just sunbathing and lying on a beach and doing nothing. Um, the physio said it'd be good for your body just to have a rest. But actually, my body all kind of went to sleep and muscles went to sleep. And I ended up having a bit of a back spasm. And this lasted like two weeks. I could hardly walk. Um, and I got back up to Edinburgh in my time off. had a week off there. And then I was meant to be leaving to Tokyo to do, we do like a recce, to go and see the Olympic course and stay in the Olympic village and just see what's going on. And then the physios decided that that long, long-haul flight wouldn't be good for my back, having just had a spasm, so I had to miss that out, which was quite hard. Um, and then I slowly got back into training, but as I got back into training, just my ergos, my, like the rowing machine scores, and everything just wasn't quite right. Um, it didn't feel very right. Um, so I called a meeting with the physiologist, the physio, the nutritionist, the doctor, my coach, the weights coach, everyone in a meeting. And I just said, listen, like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm training right. These scores aren't the scores that I usually get. Um, what's going on? And they said, you know, you're fine. You're performing on the water. You're still one of our top girls, like in, in a pair and stuff. I'm still, I'm still like winning the, all the pieces and stuff. So they're like, we're not really that bothered about what you're doing on land. Yeah. Your rowing machine hasn't been quite that that good those scores but we're not really bothered because you're performing on the water so it's not a big deal okay so went on for a couple of months went to Portugal uh, for a training camp and while I was there I got really ill like a chest infection um and so you get locked away you get um put into quarantine because you don't want to make everyone else ill 
So I had to get the nutritionist had to bring me food to my room and I wasn't allowed to see anyone for a whole week. And it, it's very lonely and miserable. And you used to, you know, living with these girls and seeing these girls every day, I was actually FaceTiming them. When they came back from the sessions, they'd FaceTime me just so I could see a friend, you know, see a face. Because it is such a lonely world, just getting locked up in this tower almost. Um, and that lasted about a week. I was just desperate to get better because I was out in Portugal and the head coach was like, I saw him and we do this thing called morning monitoring where we have to give our heart rate, our weight, how we slept, what our physical shape is, um, and write down any other comments. And I saw the head coach and he was like, why are you even here? This isn't a holiday. You should be training. I was like, I, I know I'm aware. I'm so sorry. And you feel guilty and you feel so sad that you're not able to train and you just feel useless, like you're a useless part. So I kind of went back into my room. I was like, God, tomorrow I'm going to be better. I'm going to be better. No matter what, I'm going to be better. And I rushed back from this illness and to train. And you're just, you just want to please everyone. But I think I rushed back too early. Um, well, this is what they think now. So then all my ergos and everything um, just got worse and worse, all my scores. Um, until trials came along in April. And usually I come in top three um, in the pairs. And... I came 10th um, and it was a bit of a shock to everyone which means that I probably wouldn't even have got to get selected for this world so everyone's like right how's our best girl got come last at trials so they called another meeting um, I took some blood tests and stuff and it's called um, unexplained underperformance syndrome or aka ups and that's what overtraining is called and basically the way you have to just reset your body um I have too much when you when you do exercise oxidative stress levels become higher and your body's meant to mop out a mop up that stress level and my body's just not doing that so doing all this training but I'm almost getting more unfit and more tired so they said you know have four weeks off um I'm unfortunately going to miss Europeans uh, which is in Lucerne in Switzerland in three weeks time and then Poland which is in the first the second world cup which is in six weeks time definitely not going to be back for those two but I hope to be back for the third world cup in Rotterdam and then for the world championships in Austria um but yeah I've got a lot of work to do for then and I'm just able to have a bit of a break but it is hard and you know when your body is having a bit of a break like I feel better in myself and my heart rate's definitely dropped and it's hard not doing any exercise and I, I eat 4,000 calories so I definitely feel myself jiggling in places I wasn't jiggling before <laughs> I need to kind of stop that um but it's also then becomes a bit of a mental health game I guess um I find it hard to sleep at night with a bit of anxiety just being like what am I doing like what's going on and um am I going to get back in time and do I need to be doing a bit of this and what happens if my back has another spasm because I'm not doing anything like I did in the summer and I just have all these concerns and stuff and I'm fine during the day but it's just when I go to sleep all these thoughts and I guess they're natural but it's also a bit like I'm just constantly worrying um I guess another thing um, that happened was 2014 was a, was a bad year for me um I got kicked out of the team my back went in just because I didn't have the years of rowing behind me and I got into the senior team so quickly that my back went but I didn't want to tell anyone because I obviously wanted to go to Korea and race and this was so exciting and new for me so I kept it a secret didn't see any physios and then while I was out in Korea, I was just playing table tennis in my free time. And they had like a ping pong thing in the common room. And um, my leg just completely gave way. Just the weight of my leg just gave way. I couldn't walk on it. 
So I went to the physio and they were like, you idiot, why haven't you come to us sooner? You have a disc popping out and Sinatica. If you hadn't come to us sooner, you'd be in a wheelchair by the time you're 30. So I wasn't allowed to race in Korea and I got sent home. And um, the team then just didn't really look after me, i got to say. Like, I think there was different people in charge back then, but I got um casted back to my club I had no support my funding was cut I wasn't allowed to see physios so I had to pay a lot of money for physios to try and mend myself back <clears throat> it took the best part of two years to get back healthy and a lot of injections in my back and stuff to try and harden the disc up and and whatnot and I just felt very alone very lost I watched some of my friends that I had always been better than at uni they were all on the team and thriving and winning medals and uh, you know, I was like, I definitely want to go to the Olympics. I haven't sacrificed this whole thing just to go to the Olympics. But I just, I worked in an estate agent um, for a bit just to give my mind a rest and to to see if I wanted to call it a day at that point. And I, I was very, very low. Um, I guess you'd say I probably had depression then, but I, you know, you don't really want to believe things like that. And it was just the support of my family. Like I remember calling my mom being like, I am just so sad. Like all my friends are doing these amazing things and I'm just sat here and I can't even like walk to the shops and stuff. And my back is so sore and I'm getting no support. And this is awful. And my mom, she flew straight down and we had a little shopping trip or we did something nice. And I remember she was just like, it's all going to be okay. And what's, what's, for you won't go past you is what she always said she's like you can decide like your life's not over you're still young do you want to do this sport like if it's gonna hinder your performance in later life and you know you want to have old you want to be old and have babies and be able to pick your child up and not have a bad back and you know these to hinder your life after rowing <clears throat> but I decided I definitely wanted to do it so I gave it a last push in 2016 for the Olympics but it was just too late um those, those two years, 2014, 2015, were, were really hard. And then in 2018, I kind of had another... You're then in the team and everything you've wanted and you're training hard and, and everything. And then I had still problems with my hip and my back. And um, training is long. Like you're doing maybe 40K a day plus weights. And I'm, I was overtired and I thought I could do it all and socialize and see my friends and stuff but I was just knackered and very teary like someone would say hello to me in the morning and I just burst out into tears and I was like god this isn't right so I saw the doctor and and she was like you know I think um, a lot of the team do but they're on antidepressants and I think that it would maybe help you just to blur the noise and stuff if you took this antidepressant and stuff so I started antidepressants in 2018 and they said so we do step tests every so often and they said it's not a coincidence so just recently this meeting that I've had it's not a coincidence that as soon as I started on this antidepressant my performance has actually dropped so the best I was was before I started these antidepressants so they've actually probably worked against me and so they think that might have something to do with this um under unexplained underperformance and stuff so I've weaned myself off them and I'm not on anything at the moment and they they are very good with mental health now and but almost they've probably almost gone too far they're almost a bit like everyone's got mental health issues right you get on this antidepressants you need therapy do the stuff and I've decided that I'm going to go down the route of CBT and just have therapy and someone to talk to and stuff because it is a hard atmosphere when the girls you're training with are your best friends and your sisters and you do everything with and you're there 24 7 with them having breakfast lunch even when I finish training I'll invite them around for dinner I almost like can't be alone (laughs) 
but at the same time they again you're competing against them there's almost stuff you can't really tell them because you don't want them to line up on the start line of trials and look across to you and be like I know that she's got these problems so I'm going to get her so it's, a, it's it's been quite good having therapy and just having someone that I can talk to and actually tell them everything and not have to kind of like pretend that everything's okay mm. um, but I definitely think in sport and elite sport mental health is is so important these days so important absolutely so your next big target is tokyo Mm -hmm. olympic games in 2020 how are you doing um i'm like i'm doing okay like the 2017 2017 2018 whole olympiad i like i said i've been one of the top girls so i've always been in the top boats come the worlds and and it's been like a very enjoyable ride, I'd say. Um, I'm never struggling for a place or, or anything like that, like I was the Olympiad before. Um, I've definitely learned from my mistakes and I'm seeing physios and as soon as I have a niggle, I, you know, I sort it out. And, and with this overtraining syndrome, I'm like, I'm glad it's happened now and this year mm-hmm. and not next year because that would have been fatal for me. Um, so I'm glad that we're getting on top of it now. Uh, and I'm just looking forward to it. I know next year is going to be savage. Um, selection process is always savage, and I'm always so glad when it's over because you can then start being a team again and start like actually rooting for each other instead of being against each other. But um, yeah, I'm I'm just really looking forward to it. really looking forward to it. And I'd like to ask you about what next. Um, so you know, you've you've dedicated <coughs> the best part of what was it nine years so far to the sport um which has become very much central to your whole life both professionally and personally so what does life look like for you after 2020 Um, so this question used to really stress me out my mum would be like what are you going to do after rowing or what are you going to do after rowing I like that question just stresses me out because I have no idea it's kind of like when you're at uni and you're having to not uni at school when you're having to choose your subjects for GCSEs and A-levels I'm like I don't know what what I want to be when I'm older I kind of feel like I'm in that place I'm like God, I don't know what I want to be when I'm older but I guess I am old now so I need to I actually need to (laughs) figure this out um I definitely think rowing is a passion and sport has always been a passion um so I would definitely like to still be involved I do a bit of commentary for Henley Royal Regatta and um the Nat School's and I think I'd like to keep that the commentary and keep in sport um and maybe even different sports not just rowing so I think I'm I'm trying to get work experience and trying to get things into into that sort of area um and then maybe go into the coaching or PE teacher and I just think sport is important and I would just like and that's where my passion is and I think that's where I would like like I'm not very officey I can't see myself in an office and in London and I definitely want to move back to Edinburgh. It's, it's the one thing I want. So, um, yeah, I'll just have to see where the wind takes me, I guess. <laughs> Catherine, thank you. Um, we'll be tracking your progress very closely in the run-up to the Tokyo 2020, and it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. So well, thank, thank you for you coming. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to a special feature on the School for CEOs Leadership Insights podcast with host Gemma Soul and guest speaker Catherine Douglas. I really enjoyed speaking to Catherine, particularly as I was also tempted into rowing when I first went to university, where scouts were tapping the shoulders of lanky freshers as we arrived to collect our keys for halls. 
I sometimes wonder what might have been. But one thing I learned speaking to Catherine is that it really is an all-or-nothing sport. While she spoke with such passion about rowing, she was also very open about the sacrifices she's made and the physical and mental challenges she's had to deal with during her career so far. She's an incredibly resilient person, and I really hope that she not only makes the selection for Tokyo, but that she absolutely smashes it when she gets there. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you'd like to listen to other episodes, you can find our podcast through our website, www.schoolforceos.com forward slash thought hyphen leadership. It's also available on Spotify or iTunes. Just search for School for CEOs Leadership Insights. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Thank you.